When I was a young girl and my siblings fought, which was probably more frequent than my parents would like, my mom and dad would correct and train us with these words. They would ask me, let's say I did something and they would ask me, did that build up your sister? Or did that build up your brother? Pulling this from Ephesians 4, they quoted to us, remember, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. It was such a great verse. It's actually an idea that stuck with me, this idea of building others up. And this is a theme that Paul actually develops and builds here in chapter four. He has already written about this idea of unity, but here in chapter four, he digs deep and he develops this theme. If our minds were blown by the riches and grace and love of God in chapters one through three, as we have talked in depth about together and in our Bible study during the week, then chapter four through six is where the rubber meets the road. It's as if Paul is saying, see all that God has done for you. Now go and do likewise for others. Or as he starts in chapter four, verse one, therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. But what does that even mean? Let me give you an example. As a married woman, I need to walk worthy of my covenant with my husband, Ben. I'm not sleeping around. I'm not flirting. I'm not going out on dates with other men. You get the picture. So as people who are chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, sealed, resurrection, made one, granted access, we need to walk in such a way that honors the covenant that God made with us by Jesus because his blood was spilled on our behalf. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. So Paul starts chapter four with in light of all of that, that God has done for us. And he picks up a theme. He's already written about that, as I said, and that theme is unity. And very, very specifically, this idea of build up that, that word build up is used three times here in chapter four. The Greek word for building up is actually a combination of two Greek words. One means home or household. Other places it's translated tabernacle, the family of God. And the other is housetop or roof. Housetops were an essential part of an ancient Israeli home. Think of the stories in the Bible that speak about rooftops. You might remember Rahab. She dried her flax on the roof, and with it, she hid the spies. Bathsheba bathed on a roof, and the Bible even talks about rooftop homes or excuse me, rooftop rooms. If you remember, Elijah lived for a while in the upper room of a widow's home, and Dorcas was raised from the dead in her upper room. Reviewing these scriptures reminded me so much of of our time living in Jordan, where much of this country actually still reminds us of Bible times. When our family lived in Jordan, we lived in the capital, Amman, but often we would be invited by friends into the village. One time, a young man, he was, I'm guessing he was probably about 19 at the time, he invited us to his home and his family just graciously fed us mansif, which is this delicious Jordanian meal made with rice and a special uh, yogurt 
dressing that we can't even really make in America and served us coffee. And when we were leaving, he pointed up to, I think maybe the, perhaps the third or the fourth story of this large household. And he told us that he anticipated being married one day, like we were and building his home on that floor. Ben and I were a little confused, and so he went on to explain that many homes in Jordan, his house included, would build their son's homes on top of their own homes. Eventually, you know, because they have kids and then those kids have kids, they're going to need to spread out. But while they were still building the homes for their direct sons, they left the metal poles ready for the concrete to be poured. So as we looked up and saw this young man's anticipated home, we actually could see a rooftop. And out of that rooftop were metal poles around the edges. A few years later, we we actually got to go back to Jordan and visit his home, which was built right on top of his brother's house and his father's household. In much the same way, we want to be building up our brothers and sisters. We want to lift them above us, promoting their growth and edifying their lives. What becomes very clear when we study these passages, specifically with the word build up, is that we cannot do this job alone. We are not monoliths. We are a body or a temple built one stone upon each other. This week, I asked you to draw a picture of this idea from Ephesians 15, excuse me, Ephesians 4 verses 15 and 16. Let me read that real quick for you. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Boy, do I wish we could share these pictures with one another. You can actually find mine at my Instagram page. But I would summarize the passage this way. That as we mature, we will grow up into the likeness of Christ, looking more and more like him who is our head. And we will grow more and more into a body with all of our ligaments and our joints and our muscles and our bones being knitted and held together tight. So as we all do our parts, as verse 16 says, or our works of ministry, as verse 12 says, we will build up our body in love, our body, our body with the full knowledge that we actually do belong to one another. You know, when I think about the global body of Christ, having lived internationally, I think the East is probably has some of the hardest times understanding this concept of living as a body knitted and held together because other cultures often, as I already spoke about, live together as whole entire households or as tribal units close together in the same home, in the same space. We just don't do that. We're much more dispersed here in America. You know, even more so currently, I would liken the church in the East Uh, more as shredded and falling apart. Between church disagreements and personal disagreements over COVID vaccines and masks and 
ordination of homosexual pastors or female pastors or preaching about racial justice or not preaching about racial ju- racial justice or CRT or or is this an affirming church or not affirming church you know the list just goes on and on and i don't think this is particularly unique time that we live in but it's unique to us so how in the world are we going to w- find our way forward and listen i i do believe that there is a right side to these issues. That's my personal belief. I hold a a strong conviction to what is the right side to some of these issues. But what do we do when our believing Christian small group friend falls on the far opposite side of the spectrum than us? Thankfully, the church in Ephesus was a diverse, diverse church. So Paul addresses this issue very clearly in the beginning of chapter four, before he even dives into the theology of oneness, Paul tells all of us with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. I think in 2023 in America, we are more intent on tearing down than building up and finding fault more than eager to maintain unity. I I think all of us, and you guys, I'm including myself in this, we need to be emblazoned with the reminder to be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another in love and eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. And then listen how he actually closes verse four, the same idea in mind that he started chapter four, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Y'all, this is not going to be natural and it isn't going to be easy. It is going to be spirit work stuff right here. I promise you that. But we can commit ourselves to work alongside the Holy Spirit by committing to a continual renewal of our minds. I also asked about this in the homework, and I personally thought of two examples. Number one, just praying continual prayers of dependence. We looked at this closely last week when we studied chapter three, but those prayers of dependence open the door for the Holy Spirit to do his work of humility through you and into the lives of other people. And number two, humility is such an attractive quality. You will be drawn to those type of people. So spend time with them. Read biographies about people like them, because by nature, you will become like those who you are spending time with. A few years ago, I was interacting with a Christian who saw things very different than I did. And unfortunately, I weaponized the verse to speak truth and I dropped off the part about love. And this lady was so gracious to me. In that moment, I wish that the earth would have just swallowed me up whole. So instead of bantering and creating fissures of disunity, let's seek to lift others up above ourselves, to be like Jesus. And if you need to speak truth to someone, then let's make sure that first we pursue humility, gentleness, patience, love, and unity. I know that this will make a world of difference for me, and I bet it will be, it will for you as well. Let's close our time in prayer. 
Father, I thank you so much that you have given us your word to correct us, to train us, and to show us the way to walk. I pray for all of us that we would be humble, gentle, loving, kind, forgiving men and women of God. I pray, Father God, that you would do your Holy Spirit's work in us and through us. We are dependent upon you and in deep need of you to be able to walk out uh, the way that is worthy of the calling of which you have called us. We love you, Father God. Amen. We'll see you next week for chapter five. I'm super excited about this next chapter. We have two more until we close out our summer session. Have a great week. Hey guys, just a, just a little bit of a correction from my podcast. My husband listened to it and then he was like, hey honey, I think you made a mistake. I think that you really meant Western Christians when I said Eastern Christians. And I totally made that mistake. The reason being because I recorded it on the East Coast and I don't, you, I haven't lived on the East Coast in a while. And so I was thinking like, oh, Eastern Christians. But listen, so that was a mistake that I made. I apologize about that. I really mean Western Christians, when I spoke about our our divisiveness or the divisions, those living in America, very, very specifically, Eastern Christians, those in the Middle East or Asia, they're not experiencing those same kinds of problems that we are. And I just needed to make that correction. And I apologize about that. Thanks for listening.